Welcome to Seven Skills for the Future podcast. My name is Emma Sue Prince, and this podcast is based on the internationally selling book by the same name. This book focuses on seven important skills. They are adaptability, critical thinking, empathy, integrity, being proactive, being optimistic, and being resilient. And this podcast is all about how you can bring these skills into your everyday life so that you are living a life full of happiness, full of purpose, great relationships, doing work that you love, and just really getting the most out of life. So welcome back to Seven Skills for the Future podcast. My name is Emma Sue Prince, and it's great to have you with us on this episode. So in today's episode, we're going to be continuing the interview with Alex Sujun Kim Pang. If you didn't catch the first part of this interview, do go back in your feed and find it because it's just fascinating. It's all about how to get more productive and shorten our working week. So in part two, we're going to be talking about how I myself have switched to a four-day week and the impact of that. And we are also going to talk about how individuals and freelancers and, you know, regardless of what kind of work you do, how you can bring more balance into your life. He's got lots of tips about that. And what someone can do when they feel really stressed and overwhelmed by work. So Alex has loads of tips and ideas, so I'm sure you're going to really enjoy the interview. So here we go. I have to say, I have actually started, but because I have my own business, I have started to do a four-day week Mm -hmm. um, and have Fridays off. And I do find that it is very productive. Mm -hmm. And you just, it concentrates your time into those four days. It it? does. It does. And I think that the, you know, one of the, one of the thing benefits for companies is that the immediacy of the reward is really valuable, right? It's one thing in companies to do like, you know, to introduce new technologies or some change management process that has an impact on stock price six months from now, mm-hmm. right? The disconnect between the big investment you've got to make right now and the pain you have to endure versus the company benefiting kind of often creates a challenge in making those sorts of efforts a success. On the other hand, when you do a bunch of things that let you and your colleagues leave and turn off the lights Thursday afternoon, that's a really different proposition. And it, me- and it means that because you can see the benefits really immediately, mm. that you, know, you, can, you can, for one thing, make adjustments a lot more quickly, but it also creates a great incentive to, you know, to try new things, to stick with what works, to work with your colleagues, to figure out what new processes, technologies, uh, or of practices you can all develop so that you can all leave on Thursday and you know enjoy the enjoy a long weekend every weekend. Mm-hmm. Imagine it creates quite a lot of collaboration. Mm-hmm. Everybody's bought into the whole idea, you know. It does, and you know there are 
a couple people I hear stories of who will leave rather than do this. You know that uh, that you know having an extra day off isn't worth it to them for whatever reason. But for the people who but for the people who stay, yeah, they talk about how you know this is a pretty unique experience, mm. right? It's mm. often pretty intense. It requires rethinking everything that you do, and you know very often. These are people who have been, you know, who are industry veterans, right? They've been doing this for 10 or 15 years. So they really know how business normally works. They're often experienced enough also to know what's really kind of stupid about the way we work. <laughs> and, you know, you've got a kind of list of things that you would love to change if you had the chance. Mm. Well, now you have the chance. Mm. And the experience of doing that together with other people is really, you know, can be a really terrific, really terrific bonding experience. The other thing that these companies do is it's not just about, you know, having like focused downtime where you're kind of antisocial. It's about creating better boundaries between work time and social time. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that happens to kind of counterbalance that of uh, those periods of focus is people are more social during things like lunch hours. So, you know, rather than grabbing a sandwich and eating at your desk and checking Facebook, people will, like, gather together. And that's when, you know, you hang out and you talk. Yeah. And it turns out, you know, you often have you know, better, not surprisingly, um, you know, better social relationships with mm. people when you, when you have time when you actually focus on those people focus on those relationships. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, that's a, and so social life actually becomes better. Mm -hmm. And then even in a couple places, they start cooking. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have a sort of rota where, or people take turns with this. And even that turns out to make places more successful, more collaborative places to work. There's a wonderful, wonderful study of firehouses. And in the United States, you know, sort of fire companies, fire engines, um, the people who work, uh, who work there will have these long shifts and they cook together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, place, and fire companies that cook together actually perform better on the job mm -hmm. than, company, than fire companies that don't. So, you know, and all of this stuff, in companies that are doing four-day weeks, kinds of happens kind of happens organically. Mm -hmm. um, it's not that companies set out to do it this way, but people kind of naturally gravitate to having these more social times to counterbalance the the more focused periods. But they turn out to be times that benefit everyone in multiple ways. Mm. Do you have some favorite success stories from so, the companies you've worked with? Yeah, you know, um, I think, well, one of my, one of my favorites is a company called Pursuit Marketing, which is in uh, Glasgow. Mm -hmm. And they're really interesting because, you know, they do, um, they do uh, telemarketing. And so, you know, this is a bit, and they measure absolutely everything, right? You know how many seconds people are on calls, how much money you make this day. There are all sorts of metrics that they have to, to know how people are doing. This is also an industry where job hopping is really, really common. Mm -hmm. You know, you're always moving to the next place to try and get the next bonus. Um, 
And Glasgow is sort of the call center, one of the call centers of Europe. So lots of places are, you know, lots of businesses are always starting there or locating there. And a few years ago, Pursuit realized that they were, that the competition was getting more, or uh, getting more intense and that, you know, they were having challenges with recruiting people, with retention. And so they implemented a four-day week. And what they found was that not only did recruitment go through the roof and retention, you know, and uh, annual turnover fell to something like 2% a year, but productivity went up you know, more than more than 30% and has stayed higher. Um, people, of course, are happier. Mm. And I, my favorite story from there is that the first few weeks that it was uh, that uh, that the four day week started, there were a few people who were coming into the office on Friday, staying there for about an hour and then disappearing. And the managing director was trying to figure out what was going on. And finally, one of them fessed up that they hadn't told their wives that they now had Fridays off. So they were going in, you know, or staying a little while and then, you know, going to the pub for the rest of the day. <laughs> that doesn't sound so healthy, though. No, maybe, 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 you know, there were, there might be better ways to, sort of, to, to use your extra day than, um, you know, sort of starting the weekend binge earlier. But, um, you know, in their defense, there were also other groups that were going and going mountain climbing and things. Mm -hmm. But it's a lovely illustration of both, you know, how moving to a four-day week creates these opportunities mm -hmm. for, you know, sort of for sociability both outside the office but also inside. Mm -hmm. And how that's something that turns out to benefit people and, you know, people and companies alike. Mm -hmm. Now, it makes me think, because we've talked about individuals and companies, mm -hmm. what about the education system and schools? Hmm. That's a great question. And it, at least in the States, there are a number of public school systems, um, you know, state-funded schools, that mm -hmm. have implemented four-day weeks. And they've done this mainly for financial reasons, right? Uh, either budget cuts or they are rural school systems where kids have to travel a long way to get to school. What they're finding and uh, after several years of these experiments is that test scores don't do not drop. Of course in America test scores are, you know, the way by which we measure academic success. Um, in rural systems where it's difficult to attract and retain teachers, those measures go up and in some school systems, they also have more time for arts, for extracurriculars, for the things that usually get cut um, in either you know, a rush to balance budgets or a desire to make you know, education more relevant for the 21st century. Um, so you know, the evidence is that even in you know, elementary and secondary schooling, that there can be benefits to moving to a shorter school day, mm -hmm. you know, and of course we all know that, you know, kids who have more time for unstructured play are, you know, psychologically more mature, they're better developed, they are, you know, in all kinds of ways, you know, better and nicer people mm -hmm. than kids who don't have that time. So, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's not just about maintaining levels of academic achievement, 
it also makes for you know, healthier children. Yeah, and if companies do it and then schools do it and then we have an impact on the family. Right. And all of that. Yeah, um, you know, and certainly places, uh, companies do make choices about whether to go to a four-day week or a six-hour day, partly depending on things like the school system mm-hmm. and, you know, the demands of kid pickup. And so one of the things, and one of the things that companies often will struggle with is the question of, you know, okay, well, if we go to four-day weeks, then, you know, how do you deal with child stuff? How do you deal with these various other things in the bigger system? And I think there is, it, it would be, it would be really interesting to see the same region, you know, or, you know, town moving schools and encouraging businesses to adopt four-day weeks and you know see how much easier it is yeah something to write about maybe for yeah next book i mean there are there are a couple places in korea and spain mm-hmm. that um have local governments that are developing plans to kind of promote themselves as kind of four-day week regions mm-hmm. and i don't know how far these have gotten i mean i think they're they haven't gone they haven't gotten very far, but it will be interesting to see whether it's possible to become a magnet for this kind of work and to see, you know, whether you know, how much of a difference doing things like moving government services or moving schools or other things to similar schedules you know, and makes it makes it easier for companies to do it and mm. makes it a more attractive destination mm. for companies that want to that want to locate. Fascinating. Just thinking about all the impacts of, of that. Yeah. yeah. So I want to come back to the individual mm-hmm. um, because we do a lot of work with uh, doctors and lawyers who work in organisations where there's little movement to change. And mm-hmm. I can imagine a lot of resistance to the idea of a four-day week. What sort of um, recommendations would you give to those people to how they can bring more balance into into their lives mm-hmm. well i think that the uh, there are there actually are a couple law firms that have moved to four day weeks um the thing that you've got to do is give up hourly billing you yeah. move you know you move from that to project-based billing yes once you do that you're able to retake control over your time and reconceptualize time not as something that you pay for but as something that you spend Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the less of it that you spend, the better off you are. Now, um, if you're not in a position to do that, then I think that the, you know, if you look at the lives of, of physicians and lawyers who are both successful and, you know, who don't burn out at 45 or, you know, whose career is otherwise crater, I mean, the couple things that I see are, number one, that they are they are better at finding ways of kind of re, of protecting their own free time. Um, they're a little you know they are even if even if you have to check email in the evenings, you know you don't do it after eight o'clock, let's say, unless there is a genuine genuine emergency. Um, but you know in most or in an awful lot of law. There is a, in client service, there's a big difference between 
what someone feels is urgent and what is really important. Yes. And being able to disentangle those two things and having the confidence to know that, you know, this thing is actually something that can that we can leave until tomorrow mm-hmm. um, is, you know, that's a that's a valuable thing that you can develop with, you know, sort of with some experience. So, I mean, I think that the, so first off, um, doctors and, phys- you know, doctors, lawyers, other people in high intensity fields and service professions um, have more sustainable careers, lower rates of burnout, if they're better at detaching in, on evenings and weekends, if they're better at taking vacations. The second thing is having a really serious hobby. And this seems a little counterintuitive, but people who are like really into mountain climbing or train for triathlons or this, you know, or so, uh, you know, other, other apparently like expensive in terms of like time and emotional investment are actually, um, you know, often happier at work. And partly it's because if you're really good at, good at a job and it's and it is demanding and demands a lot of your attention and time it can really be difficult to disconnect from that and having something that is you know that is equally engaging often is just about the only thing that will get someone you know a person like that out of the office the other thing is that um, the uh, that hobbies can offer some of the same kinds of pleasures or rewards as as work, but in a very very different kinds of kind of context. So, for example, there are lots of um, scientists who are serious mountain climbers or rock climbers, and they talk about rock climbing as being like science. Mm. Right? You've got you know it's a it's a different kind of engagement with nature but it's still you know but you're still doing stuff in the natural world you've got this big task that you break down into a thousand little parts and then you execute them it requires a lot of focus a lot of dedication so in that way it's like science on the other hand it's also very different in the sense that after uh, in an afternoon you either reach the top or you don't Right? The rewards are very clear and they come very quickly in contrast to research where you can spend a year conducting an experiment and analyzing the data and the result is kind of, you know, maybe. Um, and so I think for, and, you know, likewise, executives talk about mountain climbing in uh, as great because it's like running a company, mm. right? Mm. You've got teamwork, you have, you know, again, big tasks, you've got to do all this planning, so for them, they identify a different set of things in the same sport that, again, are like what they like best about their work mm. without the frustrations and in, you know, and in a compressed time, uh, time frame. And so while it might seem if, you know, if you're an ambitious person, if you're someone who likes your work and is challenged, mm. you know, and is challenged by the fact that it's really easy to stay late. Having that kind of sort of serious hobby mm-hmm. can actually be really valuable as a way of getting you out of the office, of 
reminding you when things are tough about mm. what you like best about your work and best about your life and you know giving you uh, giving you an incentive to do the kinds of things that we know we ought to do like get out and exercise and yeah. you know get out into nature that provide really serious long-term benefits yeah yeah that's kind of like darwin yeah is, absolutely yeah. Yeah. yeah and um just one last question mm-hmm. there's just so many questions i can think of but what about the individual who genuinely feels overwhelmed they are distracted all the time you know because the compulsion to check email mm-hmm. out of hours or on holiday is very strong um and they're feeling stressed. Where 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 do they start? Mm-hmm. How can they start? You describe a lot of people, I think. I know. And, yeah. <laughs> no. And yeah. I, this is this is a this is a situation I confronted myself. And you know, working as a consultant in Silicon Valley, you're always like, you know, you've always got too many projects, and you're like half a project behind on something all the time. Um, what I would recommend is. Sort of for people who are in that state is first off, you know, everybody I've talked about, everybody who learns to practice deliberate rest, who learns to redesign their days, who you know, redesigns their companies in order to allow people to do five days work in four. Every one of those people learns the importance of this the hard way. Everybody has a story about how in some previous job they burned out or they had a health mm-hmm. crisis or they had something else that made them realize that they had to make a change. So uh, I think that you know, even, even Nobel Prize winners are, are stupid about this stuff before they get smart. <laughs> the good news, therefore, is that it's never too late, Right. Um, if you're in this situation, you're kind of right on schedule. So, what do you do? And I think that the you know, for one thing, there are um, there are tool, there are technologies you know, like you know apps and things that can help with you know disconnecting you from your smartphone or from email at particular times. Um, you know, there's a growing body of these, both for, you know, both for, you know, Macintosh and for Windows and Android and iOS. So I won't make any specific recommendations, but you know, th- uh, but these things, these things aren't difficult to find. But I think that you know the, pr- but you know, I think that learning to reclaim your attention, learning to back away from um, the or of kind of bright stimulus of always wanting to check your email, of always responding to that latest ping. That is something that takes a little time, but it is something that you can learn to do. You know, one of the things that I see, the first things that I see people doing um, with their phones is turning off all the notifications except for um, people who uh, people who are really, really important to them. Um, Someone called uh, one of the people I interviewed calls this calls this the zombie apocalypse test, right? In the zombie apocalypse, who do you need to actually be able to reach? And those people, you know, those people can get through to you no matter what. Everybody else, you want to be able to make a choice about whether or not they 
you know, they interrupt you, whether they command your attention. Um, and actually what I do is for immediate family, I have one ringtone, which is the opening bars of Derek and the Dominoes' Layla, which no matter where I am, I'm going to notice. Yeah. And that also, and that also signals, oh, that's my wife or my kids. The whole rest of the world gets a, a yo-yo ma um, cello concerto, which is much easier for me to ignore if I'm really focused and easier for me to make a choice about when, you know, when I do have time. And I think that those, you know, things like that mm. um, turn out to be, you know, they sound small, but they can reinforce good habits and they can you know, be, I think, be valuable in helping us recover our time, mm. recover our attention. And then I think if you, you know, the other good thing about our smartphones is, you know, we live with them. You know, many of us check our, check our email or interact with our phones something like 150 times a day. And so it's both a big source of distraction, but it's also a great place in which to begin experimenting with how you recover your attention. Mm -hmm. And I think once you start doing that, once you start asking questions about, you know, why are these settings this way, right? Or how can I change these so that I'm distracted less by these notifications mm -hmm. and this app? Mm -hmm. Once you begin to do that, that's good practice for the rest of your life. Um, because the same kinds of strategies for capturing our attention, the same, or, uh, the same stimuli, these are things that are present out in the rest of the world. And so you know, if, we can, if we can practice conquering them on our phones, we can practice conquering mm -hmm. them in the world. Those are really great tips. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank oh, you so thank much. you. Alex, thank you. This has been a great interview, and I know you've given our listeners lots of food for thought. Um, so how can they find out more about you and get mm. a hold of this new book, Shorter? Right. Well, um, Shorter is out in bookstores March 5th. So, you know, wherever, wherever fine books are sold or, you know, other kinds of books, I suppose. Um, and then if you want to follow the recent work that I'm doing, you know, I'm continuing to find new companies that are experimenting with four-day weeks, that are doing trials. And so I'm continuing to write about those and other parts of this global movement that is really only now just becoming aware of itself on my company website, which is uh, strategy.rest. Happily, rest is now a top-level domain, just like right. .com and, you know, and, and .org. And then on Twitter and everything else, I'm AskPang, A-S-K-P-A-N-G. Great. Thank you. And we'll make sure all those are in the show notes. And thank you so much for being on the show. It's been great to have you. Uh, thanks, Emma. So it's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the seven skills for the future podcast you can find all of our episodes on apple podcasts spotify or anywhere where podcasts can be found if you want to make sure that every new episode ends up on your phone all you need to do is hit the subscribe button and while you're there why not give us a five-star review so more people can find out about the show 
If you'd like to stay in touch or send in one of your questions for Emma Sue, then go to Unimenta on Twitter, Seven Skills for the Future on Instagram or at unimenta.com. We'd love to hear from you. And of course, there's the book, Seven Skills for the Future, available at booksellers everywhere.